Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Eva Getz, and I serve in the food pantry and as a greeter in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated unto you. And then use us, we pray, as you will, but always to your glory and the welfare of your people. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? O God, you are my God, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Let us worship God. called to believe the gospel of trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and follow him. Part of following him is recognizing when we fall short in confessing our sins to God. We confess our sins corporately together as the people of God have done since the time of our Old Testament ancestors. As we do this, it reminds us to confess privately as well, and to believe and receive the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of our Heavenly Father who loves us with an everlasting love. So let us confess together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have refused to hear the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God hears our prayers. He loves and values us. He forgives what is past and calls us to new life as disciples of his son, Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are freed to begin again, to rebuild our relationships, and to live in joy. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel.
And now with believers across the globe and down through the ages, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, in the love of Christ, let us turn and greet our neighbors. Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. We're glad that you found your way to us today, and especially if you are visiting with us from perhaps far away or maybe even just from across town, we're delighted that you're here with us. We hope that you'll fill out the friendship pads which are in the pews and pass those along to your neighbor. Uh, That's not just uh, a way for us to record attendance, but even more importantly, it's a way for us to familiarize ourselves with uh, names of people that may be sitting near us Uh, I don't know if you know this about church people, but they tend to sit in the same place every Sunday. (laughs) Um, And so chances are there are lots of people around you that have been sitting with you for a long time. So uh, hopefully you'll be putting uh, names and faces together and uh, getting acquainted with people. And uh, we always want to keep in mind that if somebody new comes to us, it's all right if they sit in your seat. (laughs) Right? Right? Do I hear an amen to that? Amen. Yeah, that's what we like to hear. All right. Except for that seat. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you want to give up that seat? Okay, good. Good. Uh, speaking about uh, leaving room for people, we uh, have as a part of our mission here at Church of the Palms, um, creating space for folks who don't have their own space. That is in particular uh, homeless families in our community, and we are grateful that we have the opportunity to welcome once a quarter uh, a new a couple of uh, pairs of families to be uh, our guests here at Church of the Palms, and you'll have a chance to participate with us in that. That's coming up very shortly in a couple of weeks, and the Family Promise table will be out underneath the tree, and if you'd like to provide meals or be uh, a guest or a host and be a person who can uh, walk alongside of these families during the course of that time, we would love for you to sign up. Uh, after the service underneath the tree. Also, we are looking forward to next Sunday, our World Communion Celebration, where 
we, along with the rest of the world, gather together at Christ's table and uh, represent and signify and symbolize what it means for us to be one in Christ. And uh, we do that with a parade of nations, and many of you are familiar with this, where we invite people to uh, put on uh, the garb of other cultures and other nations to uh, signify what that all means. And we would love for you to uh, volunteer for that. You don't even have to worry about getting the garb. The garb is out there underneath the tree. And we would love for you to uh, participate with us uh, next Sunday by being a part of that Parade of Nations. So go out underneath the tree after you've signed up for Family Promise, uh, ask for, a, a particular a garb of a particular nation or culture, and we would love for you to participate with us in that way. Well, we t- say goodbye today to one of our dear sisters in Christ, Amy McCullough. Where are you, Amy? There you are. Oh, I started out seeing you over there. That's right. You can tell how much I know about this place. Anyway, the person who does know a lot about this place is Amy McCullough, who has been our executive director of operations over the last 17 months, and she's leaving us far too soon. Uh, And I say that because any time she would leave us would be far too soon because of her enormous gifts and abilities. But uh, Amy's into a new chapter of ministry and a new chapter with her family and taking on a new role in the new ministry just not too far away from us. So we know that she won't be far so that we can at least call and ask, you know, how do we do this? So. But we wanted just to say thank you, Amy, for your great, great gifts, for your great passion and ministry, and for your gracing us here at Church of the Palms with so many of those gifts and inspiring us to do better and better as we seek to be the the people of Christ. So would you please give Amy a round of applause? husband reminded me that in these far too short seasons, there's often not a um, see you later like this one. And I am uh, tremendously grateful for Pastor Steve and our leadership team here and every leader that I have had the opportunity to serve with, each of you who I have been able to partner in ministry with. And I'm um, going to miss Church of the Palms tremendously, and um, it will always hold a special place in my heart, and you will probably see our family here uh, from time to time, but especially in the next couple of weeks as um, my husband Michael continues to serve in the garden uh, as their technical coordinator. So thank you very much. And you'll be able to find uh, Amy and family out underneath the tree afterwards, and please make a point to greet her and wish them all uh, God's blesses, blessings. So let's continue our worship. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change. Lord, it feels in so many ways as if the earth is changing Many of those things we have held fast to in our society and culture feel as if they are crumbling. Institutions that we once believed upheld the common good feel as if they are failing us. Discourse has become corrosive. Lines drawn, shouting has replaced speaking. And no one seems to be listening anymore. Everybody thinks that they're right. Humility has grown as scarce as diamonds. Justice, any interest in justice seems to fall by the wayside. And the psalmist says that we will not fear, but we confess to you that often we are afraid. We are disappointed, we are worried, we are discouraged and we don't even know how to talk about it out of fear that we might be labeled or shouted down or at risk of losing a friend. 
Yet you are our refuge and strength, says the psalmist, a very present help in trouble. And so we assemble in this place, praying that somehow we might be quiet enough, still enough, humble enough to allow you to speak your word. For in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Lord, give us your word, give us your light, give us your life. Speak a humbling word to your people. Take us off our platforms and podiums and soapboxes and sit us at the feet of the teacher Jesus and let us hear a word. Speak to us of peace, of grace, of love, of mercy, of justice. Don't tell us what we want to hear because for that we need only to listen to ourselves or to our favorite cable channel. Speak to us something we don't want to hear because maybe then we will trust it for the truth. Speak truth to us, Lord. Start with us. Let us hear the truth about us. Don't let us off the hook. Quiet our rant and let us inspect together the log that is in our own eye. We pray for your world today. We pray for people who are afraid like we are, but maybe for different reasons. We pray for people who are afraid their next meal is not going to come. We pray for people who are afraid they won't have enough to retire on. We pray for people who are afraid that the pain they feel inside their body is something they don't want to know about. We pray for people who are afraid their town will be hit by a missile. We pray for people who feel that they might end up through no fault of their own at the wrong end of a gun. We pray for little people who didn't choose the broken family of which they are a part. Lord, help us to live in this fearful world with fearful people, knowing by your grace that you are refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Help us to be still so as to hear the fear and embrace the fear and know that you are God and that the God of Jacob is with us. For we pray this in the name of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus the Christ, who taught us to pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Let us continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings.
Let us pray. O God, we give you thanks for the privilege of being able to give back to you just a portion of the gracious gifts that you have given to us. We pray that you would accept these gifts from our hands and that you would bless them and multiply them for the furthering of your kingdom and so that people all over the world will hear that there is a God who loved them so much that he gave his only begotten son. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite all the children to come forward for the children's moment and our Bible presentation. All right, it's an exciting day again, especially for third graders. Today is the day that we get to come sit. Yeah, that's great. Perfect. Today's the day we get to give our third graders their very own Bible. So come on up. There's lots of space. The Bible is a really special book. In it, um, you'll find God, God has lots of stories about how he does his work in the world. But here's the most important thing. When we read the Bible, we encounter God. Okay? We listen and we learn. And sometimes we, we find out stuff that we change our mind on throughout our journey in, in the Bible. But the most important thing to always remember is this, when we read the Bible, it's how we meet with God. It's like setting an appointment with God. We get to get an appointment with God when we listen and read our Bibles. He's right there with us. We can hear God in his word. So our hope and prayer is with the Bible. This will be the beginning of a journey, a lifelong relationship that you will have with your Lord and Savior. So, if you are in third grade, could you please stand up? Okay, I'm gonna have you line up right here for me. And I'm gonna ask that you would say your name really loud as, as, as we hand you God's word. And um, have a stand right here. Line up, thank you, great, come on down, perfect. All right, and Pastor Steve will hand you your Bible. Eric, you can say your name for me. Eric? Eric Nelson. Great, thank you. All right, here we go. Trey Jones. Trey Jones. Clara. Polishek. <laughs> Chloe Miller. Moxie Bonifield. Moxie Bonifield. Down here, Moxie. Sorry, Anna Buckmeyer, Camille Wright, yes, Brian Stone, Nathaniel Herod. Great, so many now. Um, what I'm going to ask you guys to do if you would repeat after me before, and then Steve will pray for us. Okay, I receive this Bible, as God's word for me, I will strive to know and understand it, and, and through it know God. May it shape my character, penetrate my soul, direct my decisions, Shepherd my, heart. Shepherd my heart, be a beacon of truth, and lead my life. Okay, so after um, Pastor Steve prays for, for us, we'd like to invite, remind, remind the parents to leave with us. We have a little parent meeting with the, with the kids and the students. So, Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you because you love us and thank you because you give us your word. You help us to understand who you are through your word, the Bible. We are grateful, Lord, that you give us this wonderful text of scripture through which to understand your ways so that we can live your ways in our life. Lord, I pray that you will be with each of these third graders as they have their very own Bible now. And we pray, Lord, that you will allow them the time and the grace to open it and to encounter it, to experience it. And we pray, Lord, that through it, they will come to know deep, more deeply who you are, how much you love us, and how much you wish for us to be that beacon of light in the world. 
So Lord, bless them and keep them, and may you speak to them through your word that they may truly know how they are your children, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can all head off to Children's Church. seated. So we handed out these Bibles this morning to our third graders, and it would be a wonderful testimony to these young children if you and I were to find a way by which the Bible was a regular part of our lives so that we truly could live out together as the family of faith what it meant to be people of the word. And we provide you a way to do that and it's in your bulletin on page seven. And many of you obviously have seen this and you certainly have been introduced to it, but we continue to encourage you to do it. We are, as I said, walking through the Bible and taking our look at the great story of God from the beginning to the end. We're uh, still in Genesis, 
And uh, we would love for you to walk with us, not just from Sunday to Sunday, but every day of the week. And we provide this journey through uh, this great arc of uh, the biblical narrative for you to read through each and every day. And we can be a great encouragement to our third graders, to our children, to our youth, if we truly become uh, people of the word and that uh, we find ourselves daily in the reading of scripture. And beyond that, to participate in Bible study. Uh, and you'll note in uh, not just the bulletin, but in the Connect magazine, and especially on our website, all the many opportunities you have to participate in biblical study so that you can learn more about what God's good story is about and uh, find your place in it. So we hope that you'll do that and walk with us during this year as we make our way through God's great story. We find ourselves in Genesis chapter 50 today, uh, a text that I'm gonna be reading a, a bit later uh, in the sermon. So to the end of wondering about God's word in our lives, let us begin with a word of prayer. Let us pray. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will allow whatever words should come forth from my mouth to point to the word that we know in Jesus Christ and to the word we know in scripture that we may discover even more deeply what is your will and purpose for our lives and how we are a part of this amazing, unfolding drama of grace. All this we pray in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Last week we talked about family trees and how within every family tree, there are these boxes and lines that stem from the boxes that indicate human beings and our relationships. Inside every box is a human soul with all of its intricacies, its hopes, its dreams, its disappointments, its failures, its successes. And every line that stems from each of these boxes is a relationship that we have and every relationship has its own measure of hate and love and indifference and hurt and healing and loyalty and betrayal. It was a tree like this, we talked last week, it was a tree like this that Abram and Sarai had been promised, and it's a tree that Abram and Sarai prayed for. And as with many things, be careful what you pray for. Case in point, Later in Genesis, we learn about the family of Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. The Bible actually gives him two names. The other name he, they get, the Bible gives him, actually it's given by an angel, is the name Israel. Jacob is the namesake of the promised land. Jacob is somewhat of a scoundrel and he manages as a young man to tear his own family apart by deception and selfishness. But in the end, he is shown grace by his brother Esau, and the family is finally reconciled. And so in turn, Jacob has his own family, 12 sons, and beginning in chapter 37, we hear the story of Jacob and his 12 sons. And it is not a pretty story. When you read the story of Jacob and his sons, it is like watching a train wreck in slow motion. It is like watching one of those suspense movies, you know, where it seems so clear what these characters should not be doing, but they're gonna go ahead and do it anyway. What dark rooms they should not go into, but they're gonna go into it anyway. There isn't much you can do about it because you're watching this story unfold. Well, Jacob and his sons do just about everything wrong when it comes to being a family. With it, you had, we had time to read all 14 chapters of the Jacob family tree. Of course, you can do that at home. But the story centers around one of Jacob's sons, Joseph. Joseph is the father's favorite, and that's where things start to fall apart. You know, it's one thing as a parent to have a favorite child. It's another thing to make a public announcement about it. Jacob makes a public announcement about it and buys Joseph a spectacular coat. Tradition calls it the coat of many colors, just to make no mistake among the rest of his sons that he's got a favorite and Joseph is the one. To make matters worse, Joseph then begins to share dreams with his brothers that he's having, and they happen to be dreams that suggest to the brothers that they will be, in the end, subservient to him. 
Now, daddy's little lamb is pulling rank. So we know where this is going, right? Daddy and his favorite little boy push the limit, and before you know it, 11 brothers have had the course, and now it's time to get rid of Junior. And they get rid of Junior. They sell him into slavery. Joseph ends up down in Egypt, sold to an Egyptian official, Potiphar. He's now Potiphar's slave, and Potiphar's wife likes what she sees in the young Hebrew slave. She makes her move on him. Joseph resists, lands himself in jail. Long story, a little longer, Joseph ends up interpreting some dreams for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh likes what he hears, brings Joseph into his court, and makes him secretary of agriculture. <laughs> Joseph puts together a plan to save Egypt from the ravages of the famine, and Joseph becomes a national hero. Things, on the other hand, don't go so well for the spiteful brothers. The same famine has, famine has devastated the family farm, so they are forced to go and beg for help from the neighboring Egyptians, unaware that their brother is the one from whom they are begging. Finally comes the moment of truth when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and while he is reunited finally to his loving father, Joseph, in the end, has been cheated for many years out of the most important relationship in his life. <sighs> I suppose if you've ever wondered about your own family, wondered over some of the broken, dysfunctional pieces of your family tree, you might find some solace comparing your tribe to Jacob's tribe. It's hard to top Jacob and his ancestors and descendants when it comes to family brokenness. In fact, it's rather startling, the stunning transparency of the Bible and its story of Jacob and Joseph and their brothers and God. Genesis, the writer, spends nearly a third of the book telling us this sordid tale of favoritism, betrayal, and heartbreak. Not a very good thing if Genesis is supposed to be the testimony of Israel to the faithfulness of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob and his boys today would not probably make it onto the cover of Christian Family Magazine. Compare also this to the recent political conventions that featured family members standing at the podium gushing over how wonderful their father, their husband, their mother, their wife is. Lordy, lordy, they must be perfect. But of course we know we've only heard just a fraction of the story. But the Bible tells us the whole story. And the whole story about families, your family and mine, is that it's not all peaches and cream. None of us got born to parents with PhDs in parenting. Each of them, each of our parents were trying to figure it out on the fly, and I suspect none of us made it very easy for them. For the most part, each family is trying to figure out how to do it in the best way they can. And mistakes are made. And mistakes are made. In fact, families are the great laboratory of experiment. And any good laboratory, any good effort to get it right, any good attempt to figure out the right formula will be riddled with mistakes. I can only imagine an outside observer peering into my family while my parents tried to parent their four boys or as Amanda and I tried to parent our daughter. I can imagine those observers jumping up and saying, oh, no, 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 don't do that. No, 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 don't do that. Don't go there. Don't say that. But there is this one thing about families, they tend to be filled with humans. And boy, whenever you get humans around, there are bound to be mistakes. I've told you before the time that despite my father telling me a hundred times not to throw the rubber-coated hardball against the garage wall, I went out and did it anyway and promptly threw the ball through the garage window. And so I sat there waiting for him to come home and waiting for him to dispense the obligatory parental wrath. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? I expected him to say, didn't I tell you not to throw that ball against the garage? It is what I expected him to say. And so imagine my surprise when I heard him say, 
well, son, this happens in the best of families. <laughs> now, I don't, don't think that I didn't pay for that new window out of my allowance, but it may have been the greatest sermon my preacher father ever preached to me. Son, you're in a family, and in every family, mistakes will be made. Now, it's one thing to throw a baseball through a window. It's another thing to sell your brother into slavery. And it all points to the spectrum of mistakes that get made inside the human family, sometimes terrible mistakes, sometimes terrible hurt, sometimes terrible regret. And, and thank God for the Bible to be honest enough to assure us that if mistakes were made inside our families, well then that makes us pretty biblical. That makes us pretty much like the children of God. That, that makes us pretty much a part of God's story. Now, now the interesting thing about God's story is that it isn't just about the mistakes. Lord knows there's enough of them in the Bible right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Mistakes get made right from the start. And what this has led some to believe is that God's story is about God finding all those mistakes and making us feel pretty bad about them. That the story of God is the story of the Father in heaven who's walking around with a ruler in his hand ready to slap anyone who does something wrong. That the story of God is about some referee calling fouls on your family. But that's not the whole story. In fact, the whole story is about something entirely different. And we find a great example of this, this whole story of God, when we read the end, the very end of Joseph's story. Remember, 14 chapters of heartache, brokenness, betrayal, and they end up with these verses at the end of the story. Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers, the wrong they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are here now as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, Joseph reassured them, speaking kindly to them. You see, there's something remarkable about this whole story of God, and what is remarkable about this whole story of God is that when people like you and me, and people like Joseph and his brothers, look inside our broken, mistake-filled families, we can see that the story is not only about the mistakes. In fact, what we see is that the story is always gonna have mistakes. But what we can also see, because this is God's great story, is that God is still somehow in the middle of it all trying to push the story to good. It would be a mistake for us to think that God makes our mistakes happen. It would be a mistake to think that God wants us to somehow suffer through to the solution, but that could be no further from the truth. Instead, given our humanness, given our inclination toward goofing up, given the fact that none of us scores perfectly on the family test, God is still, though, in the middle of it, trying to push the story to good. And the way that God seeks to push the story to good is to appeal to the good that is already in us. Remember, it was only two weeks ago, back in Genesis 1, that when God created us, what did he see? He saw that we were good. 
And that's always going to be the case. God is always going to see, through God's loving eyes, the good in you and me. And when we know that God is always going to see, through his loving eyes, the good in us, well, then that's the chance to see, then, what role we can participate with in this loving story, what role we can, we can play in helping the good Lord push this story forward. God is always appealing to the better angels of our nature. Amanda and I went to see the movie Sully last weekend. Some of you probably have seen it. I can talk about this movie because we all know how it's going to end. So a terrible thing happens in the sky. A plane on takeoff flies into a swarm of birds, loses both engines, and the pilot Sully Sullenberger does all within his power to save the 155 souls on the plane, lands the plane in the Hudson River. But that's not the end of the story. No, the rest of the story is about these human beings who see a plane has just landed in the Hudson, and they have minutes before the story comes to a really bad end. And so what do they do? They do what's inside them to do. They rescue. They pilot their boats to the wreck. They throw lifelines. They dive into the freezing water because the failed engines and the ditched plane is not going to be the end of the story. It is within us to always push the story to good. I will never tire of reminding you of that great scene in Les Miserables when the fugitive Jean Valjean is received as a guest by the gracious bishop, and after being given a hot meal and a warm bed for the night, Jean Valjean steals away in the middle of the night with all the bishop's silver. And when he's caught and dragged before the bishop to be identified for final condemnation, the bishop embraces the fugitive and pushes the story to good and tells him that in his haste to leave, he forgot the silver candlesticks. And he gives the candlesticks. He pushes the story to good. And isn't that the way it always works, that time and time again we find ourselves in these moments when the story could tip one way or the other, when mistakes are made, and the only thing we seem to see about the story is about the mistakes. When Joseph looks at his brothers and sees those 11 men with hat in hand, having done this despicable thing to him that completely altered his life, oh boy, what a great chance for that story to descend into bitterness, family division, and revenge. Oh, man. But then there is this one who looks into our lives, looks into our story, looks into our family, and sees with his loving eyes the good that can still come out of it. Not the perfect, oh, but the good. And Joseph speaks kindly to his brothers and says, you intended harm, but God always intends good. Do you remember that little poem, often attributed to Mother Teresa, but actually it's the words of a Bab Brooklyn-born educator named Kent Keith. It's a poem called The Paradoxical Commandments, and they did in fact hang on the wall of Mother Teresa's children's home in Calcutta. And a part of it goes like this. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. 
People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you might get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. I don't know what is inside your story. I don't know what mistakes have been made. I don't know the depths of your disappointment. But it doesn't have to be the end of the story. God is in there somewhere. God is in you somewhere. And if it's God's story, then the push will always be to the good. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.